Hello and welcome to Empire Sports Talk. I'm your host, Roman Gennaro. We have a lot to cover. It's been a couple weeks, so let's jump right in. The longer you do this, and I and, and, and this is, I believe, episode number 66 over several years for me. So the, long, the, the longer that I do this, the more likely it is that I'm going to see something that makes me scratch my head. And over the last couple of weeks, that's definitely happened. We've already talked about Caleb Williams and the fact that he despite never playing a down in the NFL, despite never attending a practice in the NFL, despite never doing any of that, he has a list of these five teams that he wants to play for in the NFL, and if he doesn't get that, he threatens to return to USC for another year. That inspired comment already. If you saw previous episodes, I had a lot to say about that, not to mention the list that he gave. I don't know why he'd want to play for those teams, but that's besides the point. Now, it's gotten weirder in the past couple of weeks, it's now Caleb Williams reportedly wants an ownership stake in the team that drafts him, similar to the deal that Aaron Rodgers worked out with the Jets or the fact that Tom Brady has a has a stake in the Raiders. It's not unheard of. I personally hadn't heard it until Aaron Rodgers did it, but it's it's definitely a precedent now. But the problem is, as I'm sure many of you will see the flaw in his logic. Aaron Rodgers has played for 20 years. Tom Brady is retired after playing for 20 plus years. Tom Brady is not in the NFL anymore. He can do what he wants. And he didn't even play for the Raiders. Aaron Rodgers worked it out because he specifically wanted to go to this team after after playing for Green Bay for two decades. When Aaron did it, it was unheard of. Aaron's a veteran. Aaron's a, a multi-time MVP. Aaron's a future Hall of Famer. Caleb Williams has not played a down in the NFL. This is a this is a ridiculous ask for a twenty-something who clearly thinks he's all that after winning a Heisman Trophy, going for his second. But if I were Caleb Williams, I'd maybe stop focusing on because because he will be the top pick in in this year's draft. I'd maybe stop focusing on what I want when I get to the NFL, what I think I'm owed when I get to the NFL despite proving nothing, and start worrying about my college resume, which isn't complete yet, because it is Sunday as we're recording this. As of last night, the USC Trojans have lost their second straight game to Utah. When Utah had a backup quarterback Caleb Williams was 24 of 34, but had no touchdowns. USC's defense is bad, so not all of that is on Caleb Williams. Maybe if he focused less on what he thinks he's owed in the future, and focused more on what he can earn in the present to increase his value in the future, we wouldn't be having this conversation. As I said, Caleb Williams will for certain be the top pick, but coming into this season, he was the favorite to win the Heisman, which would make him only the second player in NCAA football history to win multiple Heismans. But that is slipping away with the way that Michael Penix Jr. is playing, with with the way that some other top players are playing. Caleb Williams for the Heisman is slipping away. U, USC lost to Utah with a backup quarterback. Utah's a very good team, but they haven't had their starter their starting quarterback all season long. 
USC was a playoff contender coming into the year. And I know not all their struggles are on Caleb Williams. They got lambasted by Notre Dame a week ago. That defense is not good. But Caleb Williams didn't play well in that game, throwing three interceptions. And he did not have a pat he he did not record a touchdown in this game either. So this this Heisman front runner, he did have a rushing touchdown yesterday against Utah, but in, in these last two games where his team has gone 0-2, Caleb Williams has managed just two total touchdowns and three interceptions. Hardly Heisman front runner statistics. I don't think anything he could do at USC would affect him being the top overall pick. He's that far out in front of everybody else. And then if you go back a week further, it took USC three overtimes to beat Arizona, who is not the best team in that conference. So if Caleb Williams would focus a little bit more on the games he's actually playing and a little bit less on what he thinks he's owed despite not suiting up for a single practice or playing a single down in the NFL, this wouldn't be a topic of conversation. Like I said a couple weeks ago on, on our last podcast, every level that you walk into, and I, I'm, not ta- I'm not just talking about sports, as soon as you walk in the door of that next thing, you're owed nothing. I painted this picture last week, I'll do it again. You get called up to the varsity team in high school from JV. They're not going to care that you were really good on JV. You're on varsity now. You go from being Mr. Football South Carolina to the University of Alabama. They're not going to care that you were Mr. Football South Carolina because a school like Alabama's got 20 Mr. Footballs. You go from Alabama to the NFL. No one's going to care that you played at Alabama. There are 30 other players in the league that played at Alabama. There are 20 that played at Georgia. There are Michigan, Ohio State. Like, that's what the NFL is. They pick the best from the best schools. No one no one cares at the next level what you did at your previous level. Same thing goes for business. If you were a CEO of a company and then you left that job and got the CEO job at a new company, you're not going to be able to rest on your laurels as a former CEO of the previous company. You have to go in and you have to work and earn your spot. Caleb Williams could be what will almost undoubtedly be handed the starting quarterback job in the NFL. But if he doesn't perform, that doesn't mean he's safe. Look at look at Zach Wilson, a former uh, number two overall pick, and he struggled in his first couple of years. He's playing well now, but that's because he has no choice with Aaron Rodgers being hurt. Look at, jo- look at Josh Rosen, a former number three overall pick. He's on like his fifth team and hasn't, hasn't started a game in a really long time. You are owed nothing when you walk into the highest level of your chosen profession. Caleb Williams should not be making demands of teams that draft him should not be saying I want an ownership stake of whatever team you are 20 something years old and the team that drafts you regardless of who it is has been around long before you with businessmen and owners that know what they're doing you don't as as bad a look as I thought 
his team's list was. This is so much worse because this hints at some sort of imbalance to think this is okay for me. He's not even a rookie yet. He's not even a rookie. He's a college kid. And he's saying, this is what I want or I'm not coming. Sounds like a spoiled child. Honestly, Caleb Williams needs to get it together. Because this is every week now that, that something's coming out about what Caleb Williams wants at the next level. Meanwhile, his team isn't winning in college. What he does in college might not matter at the next level, but that doesn't mean coaches and GMs aren't watching. All the noise that Caleb Williams is making, all the while his team is losing. That his current team that he that he currently has a responsibility to is losing football games. It's it's just all a bad look to me. We're gonna stay with the NFL for just a second. News came out earlier in the week that NFL executives and owners are are mulling over the idea of banning the hip drop tackle from the league. And for those that don't know, the hip drop tackle is something that's similar to what injured Saquon Barkley's ankle. It is defined as when the defender is, is, encircling, is encircling the runner while he's running and then swinging their weight and falling on the side of their leg. Basically, what this means is that a hip drop tackle is when you wrap up the ball carrier and use your own weight to bring them down. Or, or dropping your own hips to get that leverage to bring them down. Now, did Saquon get hurt on this play because the tackler fell on his, his ankle? Yeah, he did, and it's unfortunate. Nobody wants injuries in the NFL, and I get that's why the NFL is considering making this change as they have made certain changes about how and when and where you can hit the quarterback and all the sort of stuff. But here's my issue with this, is, is that it's not that I'm, I'm certainly not pro-injury. I'm certainly not saying, oh, let him do it and risk it. But if we're going to continue to limit what defensive players are allowed to do, it's going to continue to hurt the game. Look at all the noise that's been made in the past couple of years about hitting the quarterback and late hits and roughing the passers and, 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 and where to put your weight on roughing the passer. There's a couple of years ago, Tom Brady even called out the rule when – when he thought the defender, I believe it was Grady Jarrett, got a clean hit on him, and they called it roughing the passer. Even Tom Brady was like, this is getting a little ridiculous. So if we, if we continue to eliminate things that defensive players are allowed to take advantage of, look, the hip drop tackle is making tackles is all about momentum. It's all about leverage. and Sometimes, if you're tackling somebody like Derrick Henry or DK Metcalf, who is likely as big as you or bigger than, than most people that play their position, you need to use your own body weight to bring them down, especially because they're on the move. They have forward momentum. You're trying to stop that momentum, sometimes from a standing position. So... Sometimes the only option you have is to wrap them up and throw yourself backwards. Because that's, that's called leverage. 
That's called trying to make a tackle. If we're banning things, if we're banning leverage, what else is there? My my big argument about the about the roughing the passer and and this kind of stuff is is they're calling it all the time and a lot of times or even some of the targetings. Some of the targetings are blatant helmet to helmet. But some of these calls you call it, you call roughing the passer, you call targeting when it's not possible for the defender to slow their momentum in time. They're running full speed to the ball because that's their job. And and these NFL rule makers are literally wanting them to stop on a dime to avoid contact. And sometimes that's just not possible. So I get that the point is to try to eliminate it or, or limit injuries to star players like Saquon Barkley and others. But I don't think the answer is to eliminate another way of tackling. I The injuring Saquon Barkley's ankle certainly was not malicious. It was not on purpose. It was just the nature of a, of a very violent, very tough game. And every person that's, that walks out on that field understands those risks. There are, there are hardly any players that make it through a, an entire season fully healthy. It's just the wear and tear of the game. We need to stop watering it down by eliminating move after move, advantage after advantage that certain players can, can, can use. As a defensive player, it's all about leverage and momentum. If we, if we remove things like the hip drop tackle, which takes advantage of leverage to the highest degree, defensive players will have nothing left. The NFL will literally turn into two-hand touch. Flag football was recently allowed into the Olympics, and I fear if we keep banning these, these types of tackles for fear of injury, we're not going to have anything left, and that's what the National Football League will turn into. Flag football, two-hand touch football. Tackling is violent by nature. Football is violent by nature. We can't, we can't remove everything that injures a player because then there won't be a sport. Football is football. Let them play. We're going to shift to the college game for just a second. There was a report. The University of Michigan Wolverines football team is being investigated for potential violations. The report says that the NCAA is investigating the Michigan Wolverines football program amid allegations of sign stealing. According to a report by Yahoo Sports, Michigan allegedly had people attending games of future opponents as well as possible college football playoff opponents to gather information on signs used to call plays on offense and defense. So, based on that plain report, many people didn't see a problem with this. Based on th that, it just seemed like scouting. Because that's what you do. You scout future opponents. That's what you talk about in practice. That's what you game plan for. You game plan for the moves and the likely play calls of your opponents. And... If Michigan just went to games and watched, it's not a problem. Now, what the issue could be is, was the Michigan staffer filming? Did he have a camera? Because if they were just watching and taking notes, that's not a problem. J.J. Watt even commented on the Instagram post 
and said that's called scouting. Now, there is, a, there, there is an NCAA bylaw that states off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents in the same season is prohibited. Why? It's, honestly, that just sounds like good preparation. Now, Jim Harbaugh came out and said, I do not condone or tolerate anyone doing anything illegal against the NCAA rules. But that's because he has to say it. Michigan is, 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 he's the current Michigan coach. But I guarantee you, like many, he has the thought that, that many have, that I have, that as long as they weren't filming, and maybe they were, but as far as I'm concerned, as long as you're not filming, if you're sitting in the stands watching a football game and taking notes, writing stuff down, I don't see anything wrong with it. Unless you have a camera, and, and I think this staffer may have had a camera, and that staffer has since been suspended. And if he did, that's, that's the line for me. But on the face of it, I don't see a problem with going to your opponent's games and observing because that's just called preparation. If I'm if I'm Michigan and I'm walking into Ohio State in a few weeks here here at Thanksgiving, I'm going to prep. Yeah, I'm going to watch film. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have somebody on the on the on the second team in practice run Ohio State's sets and pretend to be Ohio State's player, pretend to be Ohio State's quarterback, Kyle McCord. That happens all the time. But other than watching tape, how am I going to get those sets? How am I going to understand how Ohio State operates? Go watch them. As far as I'm concerned, as long as there was no camera, and maybe, and I think there was, but this is just me talking now. As long as you don't have a camera, who cares? That's called scouting. That's called being prepared. Now, it is in the NCAA bylaws that off-campus scouting is prohibited. But that doesn't mean it makes sense. That doesn't mean it's a good rule. Until this year, it was in the NCAA basketball rule book that no player could wear a number higher than five. Wear, wear a digit higher than five, I should say. And that's because before there were there was technology before there there was automatic scoreboards and 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 um scoring tables the referees had to had to manually say oh this is the player that's being subbed in this is the player that's being subbed in so if you can't make that number like for for if you have 6 that could be construed misconstrued for 51 15 so numbers above above 5 were banned f until this year for for a very outdated reason and the NCAA was like you know what that's just good sense we have technology we don't need you can, we, you can watch games on TV you can see who's coming in the game we don't need this rule anymore so that's out they're they're finally able to wear the number 6 and higher this year this to me feels like a similar rule where if I'm a coach and I want to send a grad assistant to, if I'm a Michigan coach and I want to send a, a grad assistant to a Penn State game, 
to an Ohio State game just to watch and to take mental notes and to take paper notes, I don't see a dang thing wrong with that. Again, no cameras. And maybe they were filming. I think I, I, think I read something that they were filming. That is where I draw the line. That's just me personally. But again, you have to use the advantages that are there for you as long as they are there. And I, I think this is a case of the NCAA needing to alter a rule. They should say you can do it as long as you don't film it. Because that's just, you, you scout and you recruit, or not recruit, you scout and you prepare for opponents all season long. So why would you not go watch them? Go see how they play. And if you're on the, if, if, if you play on the road, if, if you're Michigan, if, if you're playing on the road against Ohio State, go see how that fan base is. Go see how, how that environment is that you're going to be in in a couple of weeks. I get it. Michigan is, they violated a rule as stated by the NCAA bylaws. But I think this is a case of the NCAA bylaws being wrong. Now, what'll be interesting to see is that, and, and the timing of Michigan's 49 to nothing win against Michigan State is questionable, but Michigan State's not very good. They lost their head coach earlier in the season, so they're not good anyway. But Michigan winning 49 to nothing when after this report comes out is is humorous and what'll be interesting to see is Michigan will probably be regardless of what happens the rest of the year if they run the table going into Ohio State same thing for Ohio State I think if Ohio State and Michigan both run the table going into their Thanksgiving regular season finale matchup both teams still make the playoff What'll be interesting to see is that during this NCAA investigation, because we rarely see these kind of things happen in season. So what'll be interesting to see is that if the NCAA has their investigation and they conclude that Michigan did something wrong, will it affect the way the college football playoff committee votes on Michigan at the end of the season. If, let's say, for example, Ohio State beats Michigan by three points in their game later later in November, and Michigan falls to four in the final. There are two now. Ohio State is three. Michigan falls to four in the final um, regular season ranking. The committee put them outside the top four because of these potential violations. I don't know. That's just me speculating. It's it, it's an interesting thought. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I think that NCAA rule should be changed. I think you should be allowed to send somebody to scout your opponents as long as they don't film them. Those are my two cents on the subject. I think I think this this, based on the current bylaws, this investigation is warranted. But that's because I don't, the bylaws don't make sense to me. 
All right, we're going to shift to the NBA once again. Uh, it seems almost like a weekly thing that somebody says something strange and it prompts me to want to talk about it. And it seems to be more often than not come from the same person. And that person is Gilbert Arenas. I have made my thoughts on players having podcasts very clear. And this whole next segment might be a little hypocritical because I'm talking to you on a podcast, but this is something right now. This is something that I do as a hobby. And I hope that, that those of you who are listening, I'm chasing a dream following desperately to make this a career and please follow our YouTube channel and our socials and interact with us. That is it for my shameless plug. All that to say is that what I'm about to say may sound a little hypocritical, but I have, based solely on the fact that this is a podcast, but I've made my feelings very clear in past episodes how I feel about players, current players specifically, but players having podcasts. And it seems in the in the NBA, because this doesn't really happen in other sports as much. Obviously, in the NFL, the Kelsey's brothers have their podcast. And I'm sure there are some MLB players or NHL players that have podcasts. But the, the NBA is rampant with wannabe podcasters. And Gilbert Arenas... His nickname, one of his YouTube shows, is called No Chill Gil. And there's a difference between telling it like it is and having no chill. And I think Gilbert Arenas is confused as to what that means, and he might just be saying it because it rhymes with his name. But having no chill is the extreme version of telling it like it is. Having no chill means having no tact, not knowing when not to say something. And so from that standpoint, maybe Gilbert Arenas is spot on because he's already he, he already came after Bill Russell and, and criticized anyone that has Bill Russell in their all-time top 10 because of the era he played in. And much of the NBA fan circles revolve around debating eras and debating players. And the, the fact of the matter is you can't do that because each era is so different from like the era today it is unrecognizable to Michael Jordan's era and Michael Jordan's era is is unrecognizable to Wilt Chamberlain's era to Jerry West's era they're different that doesn't invalidate them because as a competitor at any level in any time period at any facet of a sport as a competitor your job is to take the competition in front of you and do the best you can to beat it. And that's what each and every person at every level, in every decade, in every sport has done. So it's not on any of us to invalidate their efforts and their accomplishments in their time period. And that's what Gilbert Arenas has, has consistently tried to do to players like Bill Russell. And now he's come for Hakeem Olajuwon. It was reported that Giannis Antetokounmpo is and plans to 
have private workouts with Hakeem Olajuwon to improve his game. Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of the best players in the NBA. He's an NBA champion. He's a multi-time all-star. He's, he's an MVP. And he wants to work with, with Hakeem Olajuwon. I, and most of the NBA, thinks this is a great thing. Hakeem Olajuwon is easily a top 50 player in, 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 in NBA history. I personally believe he's one of the top two centers of all time. I, I Personally, I believe Shaq is the best, but I think Hakeem is right there. So why wouldn't Giannis want to work with Hakeem Olajuwon? Giannis is more of a three to a four. Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon was was the most five five there ever was. He he was a back down guy. He was a skyhook guy. Styles are different, but that doesn't mean that he can't learn a lot from Hakeem Olajuwon. Hakeem Olajuwon is a winner. He's an NBA champion. He was on one of the best college basketball teams of all time. The the Houston Cougars Phi Slamma Jamma. He's had success at every level. He's one of the most dominant players to ever play in the NBA. And Gilbert Arenas, I think Gilbert initially had an, had an issue with the fact that Hakeem reportedly charges NBA players 50000 for a private workout. And he, he, he struggled with that. Because that's a lot of money. For somebody like me, for somebody that doesn't have NBA money, that's... A, a year salary, but Hakeem Olajuwon charges fifty thousand for private lessons. Any private lesson you have in any arena of life is gonna cost money because you're asking somebody who knows what they're doing to teach you one on one, to teach you things that they're not teaching others because they're teaching you. And so for H Hakeem can charge what he wants to other NBA players. It's not like he's charging me this money. To work out with him because I don't because I and most of America don't have that money. But he's charging NBA players fifty thousand. For some NBA players, that's a game that's a game. That's a commercial. But Gilbert couldn't get past it. But then he took that one step further and he insulted Hakeem's legacy. He said, quote, nobody wants the Hakeem Elijah Wan skyhook. Nobody wants none of that expletive. You should be ashamed of yourself charging these young whippersnappers 50000 When you came in the league in 84, you wasn't even making 50000 a game. You're trying to make your month back through the youth. Don't, don't charge these boys 50 expletive grand for that bull. He ain't been good since the 90s. That means all the moves from the 2000s, he don't know 2010s. He don't know 2020s. He don't know who the blank you're going to do these the moves on. Wimbenyama? Okay. That entire statement is uncalled for from Gilbert Arenas. Is he jealous because nobody would pay 50,000 to work out with him? Let's just let's just say it like it is. Hakeem Olajuwon is not trying to make anything back. Hakeem Olajuwon is is he he's set. And Giannis is going to work out with him. So clearly Giannis doesn't care. Most NBA players don't care. If they have a chance to work out with Hakeem Olajuwon, somebody they grew up watching, grew up idolizing, whatever. Okay. And it's not just, it's not that Giannis is like, I'm going to equip the skyhook. But 
Hakeem can teach him about dominating your opponent, can teach him about leverage, can teach him about footwork. Hakeem had a decent shot for a big man. Can Giannis needs to probably learn to shoot a little bit better. There are, are tons of things Hakeem can teach him. And just being around somebody like Hakeem Olajuwon can benefit Giannis personally. You don't know. So for you to come make these statements of charging 50 grand to these young whippersnappers, first of all, whippersnappers? Are you a thousand years old? And then to say, like, when you came in the league in 84, you weren't even making 50,000 a game. That invalidates your point of coming after him for 50,000. Players now make that in a game. They make that in a few hours. It's it's like me charging someone a hundred bucks for something. Okay? Like, it's not that big a deal. And And of course he hasn't been good since the 90s. That's when he played. He's 60 years old. What does that have to do with anything? These these statements by Gilbert Arenas were absolutely out of pocket and absolutely wrong. And most people saw through what Gilbert was trying to do. It seems like Gilbert just, just goes on his podcast to cause trouble. Like that's That's why maybe the nickname No Chill Gil is... Fitting because he might mean it as I tell it like it is. I'm a truth teller. No, you're you're a jerk. Like no chill means you can't control yourself. No chill means you don't know when not to say something, and that's what's happening. So Paul Pierce immediately jumped to Hakeem Olajuwon's defense, which is not the first time Paul Pierce has done this because a lot of people were were had things to say when 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 the NBA 75 released that Hakeem should be a top 10 player. Paul Pierce had a lot to say about that. He said that he doesn't get the respect he deserves. And I, as I said, I believe he's one of the top two centers of all time. Paul Pierce had this to say to Gilbert Arenas. He said, you crazy. Put some respect on Dream's name. That was Hakeem's nickname, Hakeem the Dream. First of all, that that move Dream did on the baseline with the one-arm fake layup, they still doing it today. Stop it. There's a reason why each era is better than the one that comes before it. Because players are taking notes from that era, learning, getting stronger and faster. There's a saying, you stand on the shoulders of giants that came before you. That is what's happening here. Gilbert has made a habit of opening his mouth and blaspheming those that came before him because simply because they came before him. So I want to take a minute and do a quick comparison to where maybe, maybe Gilbert shouldn't be opening his mouth. Maybe. So Hakeem Elijahwan, and I'm just going to run up through some of his statistics because, or some of his accolades, because there are a lot. Two-time NBA champion, two-time finals MVP, 1994 NBA MVP, 12-time All-Star, six-time NBA first team, two-time re NBA rebounds leader, three-time NBA blocks leader. His number 34 is retired by the Houston Rockets. His number 34 is retired by the Houston Cougars in basketball. He's in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. He's in the Houston Sports Hall of Fame. In college, he, he was the Conference Player of the Year in 1994. As I mentioned, he was on one of the greatest college basketball teams of all time in Phi Slamma Jamma. He was the, the 1983 NCAA Final Four Most Outstanding Player. And those are just some of his accolades. He's clearly one of the best players 
of all time, one of the best winners of all time at every level. Gilbert Arenas in comparison, three-time NBA All-Star, one NBA second team, one NBA third team, most improved player in 2003. That's it. Hakeem Olajuwon never won a most improved player, but that's because he was drafted first overall in 1984. He was already at that level. You weren't. You know who else was it was 1984? That guy right there. Greatest of all time, who you've also come after. So before you open your mouth, blaspheming those who came before you simply because they came before you, maybe look at the fact that Hakeem Olajuwon is 12th all-time in points, Hakeem is 14th all-time in rebounds, and he's the NBA's all-time leader in block shots. So many years later, the thing we most talk about Gilbert Arenas for is the gun incident in the Wizards locker room. You are not in a position. The only people who are allowed to judge all-time greats are all-time greats. And if you ask them, if you ask Charles Barkley, if you ask Michael Jordan, if you ask Larry Bird, they'll tell you Hakeem Olajuwon is one of the best players of all time. Paul Pierce is better than Gilbert Arenas. And Paul Pierce is telling Gilbert Arenas, telling no chill Gil to chill. What does that tell you? Switching to baseball, we're 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 running a little long on time here, so I'll so I'll get through this pretty quick. Switching to baseball, Marlins GM Kim Ng, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, resigned from her post as the first female GM in in MLB history, and to this point the only female GM in the league after Miami reportedly wanted to hire somebody above her in the baseball operations department. And following her resignation, she reportedly declined a chance to interview for the, for a similar position in Boston. This is the ultimate sign of disrespect from Miami. Miami is obviously a dysfunctional organization. Derek Jeter, one of the best all-time winners in Major League Baseball, resigned his position because they clearly weren't on the same page. Derek Jeter wanted to win. Some in, in the Miami organization were talking about draft picks and tanking, and Derek Jeter's like, that's not what I do. So he left. Then they bring in Kim Ng, who in a very short period of time turned them into a playoff team. The Marlins made the playoffs this year. And so for the organization to turn around and be like, hey, great job getting us to the playoffs. We, we, we want to put someone above you. That is the ultimate disrespect. That is the ultimate disrespect. It, and if I, if I was given a promotion at work and I was running a team and I had a team of my own, I was a manager, I was a boss, and I was running my team we, and we were given a big project. And we completed that project in a timely manner. We did it well. We received good feedback and congratulations on our work. 
and then come to the next project, they said, we want somebody else to run it and you can be the second. I'd be upset too. What in Kim Ng's handling of the season would you think needs improvement? Up until this year, the Marlins had only made the playoffs one other time since since 2003. And that was in the COVID-shortened season where there was an extra playoff team. So they probably wouldn't have made it uh, without those, those caveats. Kim Ng took a team that was probably not set up to win, was a little dysfunctional, was in the basement of, of the NL East pretty regularly, and turned them into a wildcard team. So for her team to show up and be like, hey, great job, but we're effectively demoting you. She would still be the GM, but they apparently wanted to bring somebody in above her. I don't even know how you do that. The only person above the GM in an organization is the owner. And unless you're Jerry Jones, a lot of the time, the owner's pretty hands-off in the player movements and the day-to-day -day activities of the team. So Kim Ng was effectively the boss and did her job well, got him to the playoffs. That's what you need. That's what you want to do, especially if you're not a World Series contender who's who's on the tail end of a rebuild. The first years after a rebuild, you're you're happy to make the playoffs. You're thrilled. In 2018, when the Braves made the playoffs, they were thrilled to be there because they knew that the rebuild was just ending and they weren't going to go from from sitting at home in October to a World Series just like that. They had expected that that they would contend in 20, or be a playoff team in 2019. They were a year ahead of schedule. They were thrilled. That's where the Marlins are right now. The Marlins are the 2018 Braves. Excited to be there. Skip Schumacher is a good manager. They, 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 they have great pieces in that organization that they can build on and hopefully contend in the future. To apparently hold that against Kim Ng and say, you made the playoffs, but we're going to put somebody above you, means that you were in some way expecting more, expecting an, a National League pennant, expecting a World Series title, and that's just delusional. This is the ultimate sign of disrespect from the Miami Marlins to try to install somebody above Kim Ng. So I, I respect her for stepping down, for stepping away from that organization, and I don't blame her for not taking an interview with the Red Sox because she's probably hurt. She probably, she might want to take a time away from baseball. I know I, I in, in the past, was in a job that did nothing for me, did nothing good for me. In fact, did a lot negative for me. And when I left that job, before I could think about starting a new one, I had to take time to get, to get myself right, to get myself ready to enter back into the, the working world. And that's just from a, from a corporate standpoint. So Kim Ng may not want to be in baseball next year after after what happened this year, and I don't blame her. 
I hope she gets another opportunity. She definitely will get another opportunity. She should get another opportunity. If anybody objectively looks at what she did with the Marlins, they would give her a standing ovation. So she will get another opportunity, and hopefully her, her future organization is smarter than her last one. One more thing I wanted to touch on. I should have done it when we were still in the NBA, but I'm gonna we're we're gonna go back for just a second. We 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 talked about Paul Pierce in the positive a minute ago when we were talking about Gilbert Arenas, uh, but he but he did say something in recent days that I that raised my eyebrows personally, and I just want to touch on it for a second. Paul Pierce, when asked where super teams came from, had this to say. He said, I'm the reason there are super teams in the NBA. LeBron was ducking me and needed help. I scared him into forming the big three. Paul Pierce is half right here. He's half right. He said, I'm the reason there are super teams in the NBA. But I don't think he's right for the reason he thinks he's right. He says, I'm the reason there are super teams in the NBA. You are the reason there are super teams in the NBA, because you started the first one. You and Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. That was the first super team in the NBA. What you think you're saying is that LeBron started the big three to beat you, if that's true. You're saying it like he was just trying to beat you, Paul Pierce. And you were doing what you were doing in Boston by yourself. Revisionist history. Watch the tape. Kevin Garnett was there. Ray Allen was there. If LeBron James formed the big three for a reason, to get past anyone, it was to get past the three of you, the original super team. The original super team. So Paul Pierce is out here saying, I'm the reason they started super teams because he thinks he was the catalyst that he was the 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 big obstacle that he himself Paul Pierce one of one was the reason was the obstacle in the east was the reason LeBron couldn't win and needed the big 3 what he seems to conveniently forget is that before LeBron's big three, Boston traded for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen to win a championship in Boston in 2008. That was the first super team. So you're half right. You're the reason it started. But it wasn't LeBron. It was you. It was you who had the big three. Don't, don't blame LeBron for starting it. LeBron just had one of the most successful because Boston only won one title in all those years with KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. Miami won multiple. Golden State won multiple. You could back it up further and say San Antonio was before Boston, but I think the dividing line between a super team, I've said this before, the dividing line between a super team is draft versus trade. David Robinson drafted. Tim Duncan drafted. Tony Parker signed as an international player. Manu Ginobili signed as an international player. Same thing with Golden State. The, the reason I wouldn't call them a super team outside of the years they had Kevin Durant 
was because Steph, Clay, and Draymond were all drafted by Golden State. That is only considered a super team because the team knows how to draft. That's, that's to me, the dividing line between super teams and just well-run organizations. We often call Golden State a super team because they've won four titles. Two of those were with Kevin Durant. That's a super team because Kevin Durant signed there. That's not Steph's fault. That's not Clay's fault. The Golden State has has three titles. Golden State has multiple titles with just Steph, Clay, and Draymond leading the charge. Now I have my my thought my opinions on Draymond, but he was drafted, and he's put in the work for that organization. Same with Steph. Same with Clay. That's to me where 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 I don't think you can call you can refer to the Spurs or the or Golden State as true super teams because that's just being a well-run organization. Dra- getting draft picks, going through the struggle, getting a top pick, drafting players, developing players, keeping players, winning championships with those players. That's not a super team. That's and if it is a super team, it's just it's just a nod to how good the the player development department is in that organization. That's that's the dividing line of super teams. Draft versus trade. The thing Paul Pierce is talking about is that LeBron had to form his big three in trades. But what Paul Pierce seems to conveniently be forgetting is that he did it first. That, that, that was one of the first true super teams in the NBA. Three players coming together via trade in their primes. So Paul Pierce, who often, along with Gilbert Arenas, says a lot of stuff that raises eyebrows, this, this was humorous to me, that he makes this statement, and he's half right. He is the reason they started, but what he conveniently seems to forget is that he's the one that started it. That's all I have for you this week on Empire Sports Talk. I am Roman Gennaro, your host. Today is a good day to go 1-0, and I'll see you next time.